Deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death Dying Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Hi, Mickey. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What a great thing this is for everybody to be able to listen to you an RN, palliative care nurse, and a pastoral care worker. So there's going to be so many interesting things to talk about in this time together. So how are you, Nick? I'm great. I'm just so wrapped to be here, Julie, and to be talking about something that I'm so passionate about. It's just, it's awesome. Thank Brilliant. you so much. You're absolutely welcome. So first up, can you tell us a little bit about about you? So you basically your career and how you've ended up, you know, working in that death and dying space. But go back a little bit to starting as a nurse and then how you've ended up where you were or where you are now. I'll go way back. My mum's a nurse and so I'd always, from a little girl, that had inspired me and I'd hear my story from, stories from mum about nursing. I'm like, oh, wow, that just sounds so amazing. So the, the curiosity for nursing was was set pretty early. But I didn't start my nursing training until my mid-20s. I just, you know, was trying to find myself and, you know, knocked around a bit, got some life experience. And then in my early 20s, I started working as a personal carer at a facility for people with Huntington's disease. And that was an amazing experience. I think in my first couple of weeks, I completely freaked out because I, I hadn't been around people with with such a, you know, incapacitating illness and disease that they were never going to be cured from. And in my role as personal carer there, I nursed a lot of our our residents who became like family members into their death. And so it was from that experience that I thought, gosh, I'm going to go and do my nursing now just to open up this whole scope and see what happens. And from there, I went in did my Bachelor of Nursing and just instinctively I always knew I wanted to go into oncology. Just I thought, okay, I'm just going to trust that instinct. And so I did. I, I was so fortunate to uh, be accepted into Peter McCallum Cancer Centre Grad Nurse Program. So I, I did that in 2009 and I just felt at home. I just, I just loved the opportunities that I had when I was working on the, the head, neck and lung ward to be with our palliative patients, to make them comfortable, to to be a part of the vigil process with the family members who would come in and sit with their loved ones. It was just privileged and sacred space. And I just thought, this is what makes my heart sing. This is what I want more of. And so from that, I sort of kept nursing and sort of moved around different departments in, in the hospital of Peter Mac, but always just coming back to the, the end of life space was just always calling me. So I thought, okay, how do I how do I make this happen? And so I I did past pastoral care studies, and that was just an amazing experience because I was in a hospital setting, but I was completely non-clinical. It was all about communication and just providing a listening presence. And gosh, I found it hard at first because I was in a, such a familiar environment, but I couldn't, I was like, I literally sometimes had to have my hands behind my back. So I'm like, oh, no, don't touch the catheter. Don't, don't do any of that stuff. So I just would go straight into nurse mode. And it's like, no, just sit and be a presence. And so I got to sit, you know, with family members who were nursing, you know, loved ones into their death to be in a space of vigil with people again and just 
a blessed and, and sacred space. And I just thought, yep, this is what I want more of. And so along the way, I started to, you know, I did a bit of research and I came across a Dying with Dignity Day. Uh, and I don't remember how I did it, but somehow I found out they were calling for volunteers. I'm like, yep, righto, I'm going to go and volunteer and see what happens. And from that, I came into contact with Helen Callanan, who runs Preparing the Way. Never met her before, rocked up to Federation Square and I said, yep, I'm here to be a volunteer. What do you need me to do? And so it was just ace because Helen is just such a ball of love and welcome and warmth. And she's like, perfect, let's go. And, and from that, I'd sort of started to hear about this thing called doula. And I'm like, gosh, what does that mean? So latched on to Helen, bless her, who just let me latch on to her and started to say, what's all this doula stuff? And from her, went and did my, my one-day training and immediately backed that up with my three-day training because it was just awesome and just spoke to, yep, this is what I want to do. So I did that about four or five years ago now and just from that Helen just took me under her wing and you know sort of gave me my first uh, sort of step into having a doula client who's still with me today and from that it's just continued to blossom and just sort of continued to meet other amazing like-minded people in this space who've just presented opportunities and and ideas and inspiration that I never thought would be possible. I pinch myself that I'm here, Julie. I love that. The Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Empowerment through conversation, connection through understanding. This is the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. So your main job at the moment is still working at Peter Mac? I've stepped back from nursing at the moment just right. because I thought I really want to give my end-of-life doula stuff a, a red-hot go. Right. And... So at the moment, I'm doing uh, pastoral care part-time and I'm just doing different studies and just trying to get business stuff laid down for, for my doula, doula work, which just where my heart is and where I want to be. I love that. Because I'm an RN too, and I mean, it's only a couple of years back that I found about, about end-of-life doulas and I was gobsmacked that I didn't know about it. So why do you think that that role is so hidden from the medical profession and nurses because it gobsmacks me that we don't know about it. Exactly, Julie. And thinking about it, like I am I am still gobsmacked. And part of me thinks, you know, is it because it's not, not sort of unfairly or erroneously placed into like non-mainstream sort of thing, you know, whereas nursing's like a degree and allied health, you know, you can go and do degrees and there's recognised training and things like that. Whereas doula, whilst it's certainly more well-known in Europe and in Canada and the UK, I think it's, it's starting to get more momentum within Australia, but I think that's going to come more so with professionalising it as a yep. role, I believe, because rightly or wrongly, here we just seem to things seem to have credibility if they've got you know they're like a bachelor of something or they're endorsed by a government body or something like that and and I think it's just part of us as doulas as we are at the moment raising that awareness and bringing it into the conversation in hospitals and things like that which which I have been doing since you know I did my training and just it's that awareness raising and just grabbing any and every opportunity and opening 
to get our foot in and just start talking about the role. What I it love is. that. Getting, getting it out there, getting it known. Thank you. So, Nikki, for those people that don't know a lot about, and I think as a lot of us don't know really know what palliative care is, what what is palliative care? What what does it actually mean? Because I've heard people say, "Oh, you don't want to be palliative because that means you're dying," but the, it doesn't. It means you could be alive for many years. But what's your perspective of what palliative care is, and what do you think the community thinks it is? I'm so glad that, that you're asking me to clarify that because even when I was saying I've sat with palliative patients, I'm like, "Oh, the the word palliative." I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions around it. Palliative. If someone gets a referral in a hospital to the palliative care team, it doesn't mean it's all over, you're dying, you know, shut up. It doesn't mean that at all. What it actually means is that palliative care is another uh, resource and form of support to come in mm-hmm. and support the individual through their tra- uh, through their treatment, in this case in, in the oncology setting, and to symptom manage. So things like managing pain, managing nausea, how can we get this individual through their, their current treatment with as much well-being and as in good health as they can be? So it's not about dying. It's about offering more supports to support someone through their treatment, you know, to, to provide them with a quality of life that is better than what they thought they were going to have. Yeah, so it's that's actually, beautiful. It's, yeah, it's really, it's a, such a supportive thing. It doesn't mean death at all. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, it's just gotten, it's just been latched onto palliative equals death and it doesn't. In, in its purest sense, it means symptom management, quality of life. How can we get you and your family through this time as best we can? Yeah. So how do you think the role of an end-of-life doula fits in with a palliative care team? Personally, when, when I've sort of been in that experience of being a doula for someone in a hospital setting, for me, it's very much about being cognizant of this is a non-medical role here as a doula, and, and that's what it's known to be. So for me, it's very much about how can I slot in and be supportive or fill in any gaps that might be being not missed, but just can't be filled by a nurse who's flat out and doing 20 different things, you know, at once. And no one can do everything. So as a doula, for me, it's a matter of just sort of keeping my eyes and ears open and going, what gaps can I detect here? And it might be providing that emotional support to a family member or to the person themselves. Uh, it might be serving as an advocate or being at some sort of resource or an educator in some way. It just very much about, for me, being collaborative, being very mindful of everyone's role because everyone, the way I see it is we're all team members. We all have something to offer. We all have different expertise and skill that we can all bring into this process for for the greater good of the person and the family. So it's about being supportive, collaborative and and a resource. Mm. However, that the, the situation and the context needs me to be at that time. And, and can people generally in, say, a hospice or a palliative care environment, do they know that they can ask for a doula or do you think nobody actually tells them that the role is even exists? I think, Julie, again, it comes back to it's not, it's not as well known as it can, mm-hmm. as, as I want it to be. It's getting there, but, again, it comes back to 
us using our voices, you know, and and just spreading the word. People don't know what to ask for. They don't know what they don't yeah. know. Sort of, you know. And as I said, I've been in an in oncology for twelve years, and I only found out about doula when I started my training four or five years ago. And you're like, crikey, how could I have not known that? Mm. It's like such a a necessary and and critical uh, role to have and presence to have in in that space. Yeah. So I think again, it just it comes back to how do we get ourselves known? How do we get our our, our role out there? Yeah. It it makes me think about like I haven't for some years, but I used to do a lot of work in aged care, and and there's a lot of people that I would say are palliative in that live in aged care. Uh, and to me, I could see that the doula role fitting beautifully into aged care services. But I'm making an assumption that it's not because it's not funded. But I'm interested to know what you think about aged care, how doulas could fit into it, and why we aren't already there. Like, what do you think that's about? In the occasions that I've spent in aged care, and just as a nurse, but then also as someone going to visit a friend or a loved one in an aged care setting, there is just a crying need for doulas because nurses and PCAs, they are flat out getting all their tasks done, getting all their clinical duties done, like the watching, the feeding, the toileting, the meds, all of that. That's their focus and as it needs to be. But then, you know, just on those times when I've walked around and I've just seen you know, the residents just sitting there, just sitting there alone or, you know, just, and I, and I don't mean that unkindly, but it just, for me, it's like, gosh, doulas could come in and, you know, be someone to, to, to be a presence, to be a companion to these people, to, to do, like create a memories book, to, to remind these people of the lives that they've led and the meaning that they've, they've had in their lives and that they've still got and what sort of messages and legacy do they want to leave for their loved ones? I just think doulas could so, mm. that could be one thing doulas could go in and do, you know, and to me there's just such a, a gaping hole there mm. you know, that, as I said, I think doulas would be perfect to slot in in that way and in other ways as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Connection is key for the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. If we speak to you and people that work in your space, reach out for a collaboration. Julie at doulaconnections.com.au So talk to me a little bit about pastoral care because, again, I don't know a lot about pastoral care. I always think it has a religious connotation. Um, but I don't really know what you learn and what you are and, and what people do in that role. So talk us through that. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. I was just having this conversation with a colleague the other day like who's a pastoral care It's like, if someone asked us what we did, how would we even say it? We just like just sit there. And it's not we don't just sit there, but that's sort of what it feels like in the sense that I don't go in with like a, you know, like a, a mandate or a job description in sort of like the formal sense of it. When I'm a nurse, I know what I'm doing sort of thing. With pastoral care, same, Julie, until I went and started to do some study into it, I thought, whoa, it's all just religious and that ain't for me. But it's not. It can be. Don't get me wrong, it can be. And I've certainly encountered some pastoral carers who have a very, who, who have a very strong alignment with the faith and that's what they sort of go in and present as and present with and that's totally cool. 
But for me, it's not. For me, pastoral care, it certainly has a spiritual element in the sense that I I endeavour to, when, I, when I'm sitting with someone in a pastoral sense, I endeavour to what I call tap into the, the sort of the, the greater spirit. And that's just something that I, that's how I call it, the greater spirit, the, the, the universal spirit for want of a better way to put it. Other people call it, call it God or Allah or Buddha or whatever. And that can all, that all fits in. But for me, it's like the, the greater spirit. And it's about how do I be a listening presence and companion to this person for where they are at this point in time? Some people, it's about just being the, the container or the receptacle for them just to download all their anger, just to get it out because they need to just offload it and that's who in that point, in that instant in time, that's what they need me to be. Mm. So for me, it's very much about I, I set my mind of I'm not going in with an agenda. I've got no idea what's coming, what might be coming to me. I just, my intention is to be present, be calm and to stay attentive and attuned. And, and sometimes that's challenging because, you know, sometimes things are firing at you, but it's like, okay, just come back and hold my seat. How do I provide support? Is it emotional support this person needs at the time? Is it just a listening ear? Is it, you know, does someone want to, want to share a prayer or share a meditation or share some Reiki? Because I, I practice Reiki as well. So it's it's very much about showing up and endeavouring to to mould myself to how the person needs me to be at that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love it. Oh, it's so awesome. It's just, I, I pinch myself, Julie. Oh, no, like, you can say you love what you do. <laughs> the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast has more to share. Our daily advice will help you to access information through conversations and feel empowered. Follow Doula Connections on Facebook and Instagram. So, Nikki, do you hear people talk a fair bit about the words holding space and it's become sort of part of the vocabulary in a lot of things like counselling and retreats and workshops and all sorts of things. What does that mean to you? What is holding space? Yeah, gosh, for me, it's when I hold space, I, what do I mean? It's like I'm trying to go in and present myself to someone as someone who will not pass any judgment, is up to hear anything that anybody wants to hear, I mean, wants to say in terms of, you can't shock me, you know, I'm a safe person for you to share with. Whatever you share with me will not go beyond myself and the other person. So it's trying to sort of, I guess, embody a presence of non-judgment, of presence of attentiveness, of care, of respect, and just of kindness. And, and common humanity, God knows, I don't have the answers and I'm not going in saying oh, I know the answers because, you know, I, someone said to me the other day, oh, no, you're here to try and make me feel better. I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't know how to do that. I'm just here to listen. Who, how would I know to make you feel better? But I'm here to listen. Yeah. You know, it's that presumption of I've got no idea in the sense of you know you best. I'm just here to be a companion and listen and offer that common hand of humanity of someone who's, you know, having a crack at this human gig as well. And maybe yeah. we can just share and relate experiences and, you know, that maybe that will just provide you with some comfort at this time. Yep. Yeah, that's beautiful. So just taking you back to, you know, all those patients as a nurse, I'm going to use the word patients because as a nurse we call our, our people patients. Um 
So with all those people that you have looked after in towards right at the end of life and facing those last days, weeks, months, what are, what are the most important things do you think that people want to talk about or want people to know? Or like, Are there any standout things that seem to be common themes? Absolutely. People come back to family, how precious family is. You know, it, it's we can have all the stuff in the world, but when someone is at their end of life, all they want is their family around them, their loved ones around them, and they want to know that their life has had meaning and that they've, they've, they can leave something to pass on to their loved ones, that their loved ones can carry on, you know, make, in term, you know, for want of a better word, like a legacy or just they've made a difference to their loved ones' lives and their loved ones will continue to go on and follow in their steps. So it's, it is. It's just all about having loved ones around them and what have I done in my life and has that been meaningful? How has it been meaningful? And, you know, the value that and purpose and, and esteem that that gives someone to know that, that they've mattered. They just mm. want to know that they've That's beautiful, that, isn't that, it? It's just mm. an absolute recurring theme. Yeah. It, is. And it's just such a precious space and privilege to sit in that with someone and to hear them share their life stories, to reflect back on their experiences, what they've learned, their lessons, and to hear the wisdom that's come from that. It's mm. just extraordinary. And that's the thing. I think death is such a sacred space. And yet in our Western world, I don't know what's happened to it. It's uh, We're so fearful of something that's going to happen to all of us. And and I suppose you see a lot of that. In the, and do you think that the families are, have more fear than the person that's dying in general or do you think it just depends on the person? It can really depend. It can depend upon, you know, sometimes it's the circumstances around the death in terms of if, if it was expected and in terms of someone has been known to being ill for a while and their death doesn't come as a shock. Whereas where deaths are a shock, you know, there can be a lot of anger, a lot of fear, a lot of just questioning and just, you know, why, 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 you know, just this such difficulty in finding peace when things are unexpected and a shock. And we're not saying it's easy when, when a death is expected because no. it's not because death is a death, but somehow we seem to be able to make more peace with it more readily than when something's unexpected. Mm. And sometimes, you know, it, it's the person themselves who is dying. Sometimes I've seen people who are very peaceful and, and die very and pass very peacefully and others are fighting right to the end because they don't want to go. Yeah. They don't want to go for because they've got young children. They don't want to go because they've still got all these things in their life they wanted to do. They don't want to go for it for many reasons. I love that. So what about the families then? So, you know, when, when you're in that place of expect uh, an expected death, so maybe people have got cancer or are, are ageing, you know, very old or whatever, what do you think the families are most in need of in that space? Again, fine. they just want time with their loved ones mm. and, and meaningful time, you know, and... And what I've, what I've observed is it's a lot of reminiscing, memories, 
um, what they've shared together, you know, if it's children, you know, adult children with sort of seeing their parents off into their death. It's about reminiscing over their childhood, over, you know, oh, gosh, remember when mum did this or dad did that. And there's a lot of laughing. There's a lot mm. of joy. There's a lot of poignancy as well. Yeah. But it, it, it really is. It's like going back over life and, and celebrating it, celebrating the memories, celebrating the times they've had together and just absorbing and, and holding that space of love. That's just been the overwhelming emotion that I've, I've been so fortunate to witness in so many families. What happens when you receive a diagnosis that makes you feel lost, isolated and confused about the way forward in life? Let our doulas provide clarity, help you find information and connection and feel empowered in your choices. DoulaConnections.com.au So Nikki, what, what's your thoughts about dying at home? Because I mean, if you look at the data at the moment, most people still die in hospitals in Australia, although most people will tell you they want to die at home, but the reality is they don't. And I understand sometimes that's not possible because they have to be in a hospital or an environment. But what do you think the block is to those people that want to die at home, that could die at home, but don't get the opportunity? So what, what are the things that's stopping that happening in our society? I think sometimes it can be, and I'm not trying to point the hand at anyone or anything like that, but sometimes institutions get in the way of that because it's like, mm. no, we've got to manage this person like manage them, manage their symptoms, da, 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 uh, so that we know that you're. It's all sort of kept safe and control in a controlled environment. And I understand that in some instances, that is absolutely necessary um, to 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 manage certain conditions, and I, I respect that. But I think also it's just fear of the unknown. I mm. mean, go back in go back in time to the sort of like the European culture, and they would nurse. Wouldn't even think twice about nursing loved one in your home. Mm. And, uh, till, till they die but here it's so foreign to us because we're so you know we, we put older folk into aged care institutions we we sort of we, we're always about you know chasing youth and things like that and it's almost like it's like no no I don't want to go there don't want to go there don't want to know and it's like we've sort of we've created we've put, put ourselves in this big pickle Mm. Where it's just like, you know, we all know it's going to happen. It's going to happen to all of us. But yet we're, we've stunted ourselves to talk about it because we've removed it from our, our sort of our vision, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Mm. And that's not the case for everyone. And certainly I, I believe that organisations like Groundswell and, you know, Dying with Dignity and Death Dying Days and things like that are certainly raising the awareness. But I think we've just got to keep up that momentum and running with it and just bring it into everyday conversation you know you know for me it's like with my parents having those conversations about okay you know so have you got a will what are your thoughts and wishes about you know funerals and things like that it's just starting that conversation and respectfully engaging in those conversations and and sort of how do we be kind and and sort of companion each other through these these conversations Yep. Start it in your family. Start it with your loved ones. And then hopefully it'll start to ripple out and just become more more familiar, more common to us, more comfortable yep. to us. So what tips would you have for somebody that knows that their their time's drawing to an end, you know, whether and it doesn't matter what the circumstances or the age are, they just know. 
and they want to start to talk about that but their family, you know, shuts them down, stops them, appears uncomfortable, whatever, and so it stops them from having those conversations. So what tips would you give people? Look, sometimes it is really difficult and sometimes, you know, with the best intention in the world, some family members just can't bring themselves to meet their loved one in those conversations. So I guess in, in those circumstances, my thought would be, is there someone else in your circle who's a trusted other that is open to you having these conversations with them and who will be an advocate or a support person or some sort of representative for you in this space if, you, if your family just can't meet you there? Mm. It's critical, I think, for, for someone to be able to have these conversations, for, for someone to be able to express what their wishes are uh, in terms of how they want to die, after death care, et cetera, and things like that. These are critical things to be communicated. So if for whatever reason it can't come to family, can you can you bring in a trusted other, confidant or someone like that? Um, but whatever you do, don't don't stop yourself from having those conversations. Just keep exploring. Okay, that option didn't work. Maybe there's another option. Maybe there's another option. Uh, just, mm. you know, explore your circle, explore your circle. That would be my main thing. You know, don't, don't hold yourself back from having these conversations. They're too important. Yeah. And just from my observations, at the end of the day, no matter what, fa- family members will absolutely be so grateful if, to, to know what your wishes are. Even if they couldn't receive them directly, it just provides so much comfort and eases so much stress and tension if some if the loved one's wishes and, and thoughts and are known. Mm. So Nikki, would would a would an end of life doula be able to help in an environment like that? And so what would they do? So if the person felt that the family wasn't open to discussions and they engaged an end of life doula, then what would that doula do to get those conversations going? For me, uh, I've actually been in that position where an elderly lady hired me as her doula because she wanted to die in her home. She didn't want any family members there. She was 95. She'd done all she wanted to do in life. She was ready to leave. She was just essentially doing the time sort of thing. And so she hired me to be her doula. And she was very organised in the sense that she'd already had conversations with family members about think the way she put it was I've said my goodbyes I've sort of wrapped everything up so you don't need to do that but in some instances I've certainly have been I've asked my client would you like to be a mediator for you between yourself and your loved one in having a conversation and in that situation it can involve me sitting there and boarding a conversation between the loved one and the family member or it can be just being a supportive presence. You know, if things come to a bit of an awkward spot, it's like, okay, let's just take a step back and, you know, sort of, for a better way to put it, not being a referee, but just being a mediator, mm. you know, to sort of to be mindful of the comfort levels of each person going, okay, we need to take a bit of a time out here just for everyone just to mm. breath. Mm. So bullers can certainly be invaluable in those, in those situations. Yeah, I love that. And what about if it was the opposite? So say it was a, a family members that wanted to talk to the elderly person or the, do, the the person that was nearing the end 
but that person didn't want to talk, then what what do you do then? Like, do you just let that respect that person's wishes not to talk about it, or what would you do if a family engaged you? I know, and and some that does happen absolutely, and yes, it is. You know, first and foremost, it's about who who's hiring me. So, who are my mm. clients? In that instance, it would be the family that are my client, mm. and. Sometimes it would be a matter of helping them talk through whatever they need to talk through so that they can respect their loved one's wishes. Mm. Because it's not my place to go in and say, right, this is what needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who am I to go in and drop those bombs, right? So it's just not my place. So it's like, okay, the family's my client. It seems that their loved one is pretty resolute in not wanting to have these conversations. So how can I support and and bring hopefully my client the family to some sort of sense of yeah gotcha yep great so again because it's so important not to bring in anything that's bullying or and not that i would never do that and i know you wouldn't but it's uh yeah absolutely it's a it can be a tricky one i imagine it can be a real navigation and sometimes i'm like okay i just need to tread really gently and yes i just keep my eyes and my ears and my heart open yeah beautiful so with the few minutes that we've got left so you're in victoria and so i'm in new south wales so the the, and i know the differences between the states are enormous when it comes to the voluntary assisted dying so have you had any experience with that as yet in victoria could you talk to that a little bit had a few different experiences and one that just amazing was the lady that i mentioned earlier and the 95 year old lady she hired me to be her doula she wanted to do the voluntary assisted dying process. 95, she had metastatic cancer. To her way of thinking, she had absolutely no quality of life and she was she went through the very stringent um, voluntary assisted dying uh, assessment process and was deemed eligible to, to go through the process and so then got in contact with me and said, I don't want any family members around. They respect this is how I want to end my life. Will you come and... and with me when I take the medication on the day and I'm like yes of course I will so she was super organized had all funeral will da, 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 everything in line and I just had to present myself on the day I sort of met her a couple of times beforehand just to see that she, we felt comfortable with each other sure and on the day I sat with her we spoke and just had some gentle quiet time together for about half an hour and then she turned to me and she said I'm ready to take medication now I'm like okay so we mixed it up and she got placed herself in her favourite chair in the lounge room with her favourite blanket over her lap. I know, God Almighty, I'm tearing up. Yeah. Um, and I handed her the glass and, and she sipped it and I just held her hands and we were just holding each other's hands quietly and she just very gently started to go into a very deep sleep and I was just saying... I'm with you here, I'm holding your hands, everything's safe, you're in your home, there's a lot of love here around you. And I said, it's okay for you to let go now. And in about half an hour, she just gently and quietly took her last. Oh, Nikki, that's and beautiful. It was, it was the most precious and privileged moment that I've ever experienced. I'm so, I'm just so honoured and humbled by it. Yeah, that's great. I, do. I am too, so it's all good. Oh, profound experience in my life. Yeah. Yeah, and this, you know, and honestly, the other side of that is the sooner that all of our states start to 
realise that people need to be able to have empowered at the end. And when you're 95 and you've got metastatic cancer, it's a great example. She could go out on her terms. Yeah. And it was, I, I just, it blows my mind that I can support that in some yeah. small way. Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing for us to end on. I appreciate talking to you so, so much. I mean, I think that, that was a beautiful conversation. Just such a gift to the doula world and the nursing world and the pastoral care world. <laughs> Thank you, darling Nikki. Goodbye. Thank you. We hope you found this conversation and information interesting, helpful and empowering with the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. 